You're listening to Tiger's Eye, episode 12. It is not today. My eyes open and pain and nausea run through me. The agony of that memory, needle sharp and piercing. Most of the time, I can focus on the life I had before and after the worst day. It is in my dreams that I cannot control it or hide from that time. This and my inexcusable weakness is why sleep is my most hated of enemies. I realize, with horror, that I can barely move. I am surrounded by a cold, hard material meshed and sealed into a cage. My armor, weapons, everything is gone. I am naked. I stare about wildly, my mouth agape. A cacophony of howls, acrid odors, intense brightness, creaking and clanking, painful restraint, unbearable thirst, and aching flesh assault my every sense. My immediate thoughts are on escape. I fight to calm my thundering heart and control my breathing, screwing my eyes tightly shut and blocking out as much as possible so that I may work outwards, starting with the smallest details closest to me, searching for any hint of weakness in my surroundings. First of all, I am moving. I can see the light and shadows draw across me as the cage judders sideways. My forepaws and hindpaws are both bound firmly in cuffs of that same cold, hard material, with a short set of links that run between them. This means I will barely be able to stand when my cage is opened, and will have to shuffle rather than walk. I pull on these, first gently, then harder, to see if they will bend. I feel no movement, no fluidity. Gritting my teeth, I put all my might into wrenching backwards. Not only does nothing affect them, but I hurt myself, pulling the muscles in my arms and making my head pound dangerously. They have dug into my wrists, bruising the bone and drawing blood. My strength has depleted, and I collapse back to submissive inaction. I look out of my cage and see a lion walking a pace with me. He sees me slump down from the ferocious struggling with my bonds and nods slowly before turning his head back to the road. There are many lions walking with him, their weapons slung over their shoulders, 
They shot me with darts, and I recognize now the soporific residue of snake rat venom. That immediately makes me think of Miguel. Then Haka. I push my face to the side of my cage and look out into the harsh sunlight. I cannot see or smell them anywhere. I can, however, see many cages like my own, arranged in a procession atop wheeled platforms. This goes on for as far as I can see, both forward and back. In every cage along this line, I can make out the vague shapes of countless cats. The sound of their wailing floods the air. I discern occasionally familiar words among the din, but it is such a range of dialects I am overwhelmed. I look up. Above my cage roof is a solid ceiling, even harder to break through than the walls, and that would be if I could move. I have no choices whatsoever. The only recourse still available to me is to rest, but I will not sleep. I need to memorize my surroundings. I have no idea where they are taking us, but I must recall landmarks and features for the journey back. I move my head close to the side of the cage again and call out to the captive behind me. There is no response. I say a few more words and eventually hear a low moan. A weapon slams against the cage. A lion with fierce eyes and a braided beard. His mane up in a mohawk is roaring at me. Flinch back, feigning meekness. But I've already noticed he is wearing my breastplate. I writhe inside at the unfairness of this situation. Then something else catches my eye. It is the armlet Miguel made for me. It is secured to an abundance of trinkets and necklaces hanging from the belt at Mohawk's waist. I stare intently at them for a time as he walks. They jostle and change position. I spy two Durga tribe armlets. Did Haka bring someone with him? A flash of familiar garnet, and I remember the cub chieftain Shal and her missing father. A large rounded opal. Where have I seen that before? Mohawk catches me looking at his trophies and bares his teeth in a frightening leer, then fondles Miguel's makeshift armlet very deliberately. Dark Panther, I ask for a chance to one day fight this lion and reclaim what is mine. Also, I wish to bite out his throat. I open my eyes again and he is watching me pray. I hunch over meekly, maintaining a lack of aggression. It occurs to me that he almost certainly saw my fight with Haka, 
this will not fool him. Still, it makes no sense to antagonize my captors until I know more. I glance out at the other side of the cage, at the lions walking there, still very aware of Mohawk's eyes on my back. They wear long leggings and leather-wrapped sleeves on their lower paws, from which their claws protrude. These remind me of more elaborate versions of the covers Miguel crafted. They wear shirts, not unlike his, and occasionally coats. Highly impractical for this burning hot sunlight. Their weapons range from clubs and blades to long tubes made from wood and possibly the same cold, hard material my bindings are made of. If these are what brought Hawk and I down, then I fear them. No matter how fast I move, I cannot outrun a dart. The procession carries on through the day and night, far further than I had expected. I have never seen a lion before now, not a living one in any case. I only recognize them from descriptions and stories and the occasional picture, as well as their partial resemblance to the fire lion, insomuch as a common leopard could possibly be described as resembling the leopard of water. I can only assume we are being taken to the lands of Rama in which these lions dwell. Given the contempt our captors have shown along the way, I do not think much of their species. As the days draw on, the crying begins to lessen. The stench of filth is overpowering. And the lions travel further out from the procession to avoid the smell. I keep waking up from a daze. A small dish in the corner is filled every so often with a white grain. I eat. I have to keep my strength. I lie very still and watch from an almost closed eyelid to see if any lion might look my way. It is possible if I can maintain this long enough, they may think I am dead and open the cage to toss out my corpse and lighten their load. As I lie, I realize I have not passed a single body abandoned beside the road. Surely some have died already. I can hear the flies and smell the decay. It is too simple a ruse. They must have encountered this in the past and grown cunning enough to ignore it. The time drags on. I stay down. Nobody notices. How can I fight this? I am so far from my home and family who most likely don't want me back. I have betrayed my shaman, interpreted the will of the seven to fit my own idealized ends, put a strange creature before all of that, taught him our ways, 
failed in my task of bringing him home. I lost a battle to protect him, and now, without a doubt, I am a slave. Softly the gray descends. Time may or may not pass. Sleep and wakefulness draw closer together. My eyes flicker open. We have arrived. The procession now rests upon a long strip of sand, beyond which is an enormous boat. Again, this boat is to the river craft I have seen in my life so much greater in magnitude that I can scarcely see how such a thing will float. The cages are coming open, slowly down the line. Each cat is being pushed out with poles to find their bindings are attached to the cat before them and the one behind. They are being poked and prodded, inspected, and whenever a flurry of activity breaks out, it culminates in their being beaten down. There is no defense against healthier beings, not encumbered by shackles or the immense stiffness and pain of having one's limbs crushed into a small space for days on end, dying of hunger and thirst. I look down at myself and cannot tell if the same is true of me. Behind the boat, the river stretches out forever. So blue and bright and roaring and rushing that I cannot see the other side from here. How will I swim back? Where would I go then? My cage is opened. Mohawk is there dragging me out. My limbs are suddenly on fire as they flex and I am able to stand at last. Over the way, I can just about make out a large, bustling village of lions. None of which pay much heed to what is taking place out here on the sand, under the burning sun. At the far end of the line of wheeled cages, I can finally see the animals that had been drawing us along. Four of the behemoths that resemble elephants stand there yoked, and bridled, their tusks gone, along with their spirit. I survey the line I am in from the corners of my lowered eyes. Panthers, jaguars, leopards, cheetahs, and yes, more tigers. With a sinking heart, I spot the warrior I met yesterday and his companion. His eye socket is now hollow, and with a dull resignation, I comprehend the opal hanging around Mohawk's neck. <sighs> Behind opal eye are a pair of familiar panthers, hunched over in pain. These are Glam and Marl, the traders I met on the river road. In which case, that is my Durga tribe armlet hanging from Mohawk's belt. 
a sudden, white-hot fury comes over me, and I find the strength to react. Just enough to kill him. That's all I need. <laughs> I am down far too quickly. He was ready for that. His cudgel slammed into my unprotected belly, and he shoved me to the sand. He leans in and whispers to me. Words I do not understand, but grasp the meaning of nonetheless. That's right. You're gonna be a good girl. My teeth are gritted, eyes screwed tightly shut. I can feel the other cats watching me. I stand again, clenching back the pain, and stare straight ahead. I can see a lioness has been approaching, coming down the line and inspecting the cats before me. Mohawk is nose to nose, willing me to look him in the eye, his cudgel brushing my legs. He jabs me with the point, and I suppress my flinching as best I can. Looks like we got ourselves a fighter. You a fighter? I do not understand this, or what the lioness says to him. Let her be. You know the drill. The captain doesn't want any of them damaged unnecessarily. We should declaw this one. Detooth her as well. You need good cause. Mutilating them lowers their value. She looks like trouble. Well, I'm sure if she is, it's nothing you can't handle. Big, strong cat like yourself. I can handle her. No, I'm deadly serious. If you're afraid that she might bite you, we can reduce her to the physical abilities of a newborn toothless cub. Of course, it comes out of your wages, but if you insist... Careful, Doctor. I'm still first mate. Then you know this already, and you're clearly very busy. So don't let me keep you. Move along and inspect the others. I'm sure you'll find many worthy adversaries, and perhaps some more loot you can purloin from them. I don't need it anymore. It's my way of celebrating other cultures. I've seen countless lions hanged for celebrating jewellery back home. Not to mention food and basic clothing. Move, please. I need to have a look at her. Go ahead. I'll move when I'm ready. The lioness checks me over gently but quickly, ensuring I have no broken bones. She does not speak to me directly, but I notice she has ushered Mohawk off down the line. I feel his glance back at me, and then another from far to my left. I look over and see down the line praying I will not see the silent one chained and laid so low. A tiger emerges. The movements are sluggish. They have clearly kept this one drugged the entire journey. Even at this distance, with the red fur and the tattoo across his shoulder, Haka is unmistakable. That gaze is still fixed on me. Deadly resolve burning there in the gold just as brightly. Far away, at the water's edge, the line begins to move. 
we shuffle, clinking, past the cage carts and up onto this enormous boat. All along the procession, I can see cats turning back and looking behind them. Cold panic grips me as the hope of ever returning to my home begins to bleed away. Where in Rama is Miguel? You have been listening to Tiger's Eye, written and edited by Alex Shaw, with a full cast. Harau, performed by Maureen Foley. Shearer, performed by Laura Kate Dale. Mohawk, performed by Alex Shaw. The main theme was Agent in Shanghai, composed by 1M1 Music of Shockwave Sound. You also heard Whimsy Groove, performed by Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com. A big thank you to Megan Hopwood, Lauren Grieve, and Tacitus9 for your lovely five-star iTunes reviews. And you guys at home can join them in helping the show by giving New Century a four- or five-star rating. I'll read out your name, give you a virtual high-five, and each and every one of these will help us grow and reach new ears. More listeners means more fans. More fans means you've got more people to talk to about this, and we've got more listeners, who will then tell more listeners, and so on and so forth. Our special sponsors this month were Nick Grugin, Joel Robinson, Russell Osborne, David Garcia Abril, Maureen Foley, Ben Hayes, Stefan Gardinia, Kieran Datchler, Lorraine Chisham, Livio de la Cruz, Scott Corzine, and Ian and Megan Hopwood. But whatever you do in support of this show, be it simply sharing it on Twitter, playing it for a friend, putting it on your podcast or website, writing about it, talking about it, leaving an iTunes review, supporting us for a dollar a month on Patreon, donating to Digital Drift, whatever that help may be, thank you. Thank you.